Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Chris Williams here on the Chris Williams Podcast. We have a new installment of my, uh, it's becoming a series of conversations with Dean Spaulding from the Iowa State University College of Business, one of the smartest humans you will ever run into. He spent decades on Wall Street. The guy knows markets, the guy knows investing, the guy knows wealth building, all of those things. It's a scary time out there for especially younger people, well, older people too, when you're looking at your retirement retirement savings and whatnot, and I wanted to run through some key questions with Dean Spaulding today um, about, you know, the road ahead. What do you do retirement-wise, times like these? Are you a home buyer or a prospective home buyer when you talk about interest rates, all that stuff? This is a 30-minute crash course on all things money to help educate you during turbulent times. We are really lucky to be able to lean on a guy like this. Here is uh, my conversation with Dean Spaulding from the Iowa State University Ivy College of Business. Dean Spaulding, first of all, thank you again, as always. It's, it's, it's great to have your expertise and to, to talk to you. We, uh, we haven't talked for a few months. Uh, we'll catch everybody update on that. But how, how's everything on campus? I haven't been on campus for a while. Is the how, how, how are the uh, we, we keeping the young kids at the Ivy College of Business in line over there? <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're riding the flow with them. So yeah. enjoying uh, enjoying their curiosity. I uh, have some great new programs that they're really responding to, which is great to see. Uh, and uh, certainly love the energy when the students are here on campus. Uh, no doubt. You can't beat it. I actually there's part of me that's like, I just want to go and sit at the memorial union and have coffee and work for a couple hours a week it, it does it, it provides a different type of energy i can't can't really explain it but the people out there i'm sure know exactly what we're talking about real quick what are a couple of those programs i'm, I'm just curious what are you what are you guys doing up there yeah, so, so one of the programs that's been a real success for us is uh, an undergraduate sales program so oh. they're Tremendous amount of need from industry for sales sales professionals, and we've put together a great program with great faculty. Uh, we've got a wonderful experiential learning space, and we've gone from having uh, eight students in that program when we launched it in 2020 to 156 students in the program uh, here in the spring semester. So uh, amazing growth, students responding. Uh, we've got corporate partners in the program. They're really benefiting from that engagement with the students, and I, I really love it when everything comes together like that. Yeah, I wish that that would have been available when I was in school. I, I, I always thought like, Oh, I don't want to do sales. I hate asking for money. And then it just becomes an inevitable part of a lot of careers where you're doing that 
even if you like my my wife and I go through this all the time with the she's a veterinarian and they're all their brains are science driven but when then they get out they're business people they're in sales they're they do everything it's such a critical skill it really is. And I mean, when you think about it, even if you're uh, even if you're not going to literally have sales in your title, you've always got to be selling your ideas, selling yourself, be willing to put yourself out there in front of people. And that's one of the things we think this sales program really helps with. And it's it's very experiential oriented. We have uh, salespeople from major companies here in the state of Iowa who come in and they role play being the buyers with our students. So it's oh, an wow. amazing opportunity for those students uh, to really learn firsthand what it's like in the real world and engage in a relationship selling effort. Well, let's let's get to today's conversation. We like to talk about um, the investing world, markets, um, just the world of business in general with you. And I, I could geek out on the. I could do these once a week with you, but you're a very busy man. Uh, you're in high demand, so we appreciate your time. Uh, the last time we talked, uh, th- things were going down downward. It. it it, it, it seemed like everybody was getting into a real panic mode. Since then, uh, we, we hit the end of the year. It was pretty rocky. The first month of 2023 has been very bright. Um, I think the S&P is up like 15% or something like that. It's a, a fairly mar- large number, especially when you consider the losses in 2022. Impossible question, but I'm going to ask it to you anyways. What, how rocky is the road ahead? What do you, what do you think of today's climate? Yeah, so, so you know, one of the questions is whether we're at the point where good economic news can be considered good news for the market. Uh, and I don't think we're actually at that point yet. I think that jobs report from uh, Friday with uh, over a. 500,000 new jobs uh, in the United States. Uh, I think that that, while that's good news for uh, for those who uh, uh, were added to the workforce, got themselves back into good positions, uh, I think that's going to lead the Federal Reserve to say we're not doing enough yet because that kind of uh, an unemployment number that's the lowest we've had since 1969, uh, that kind of job creation <clears throat> means there's still inflationary pressures. There's going to be a lot of wage pressure uh, in an environment like this, uh, we still have 11 million job openings and only about five and a half million people looking for jobs. Uh, and so if wages are going to keep, be, keep being bid up, the Fed's going to have to keep, you know, keep pushing uh, rates and hold those rates up longer than they expected. And ultimately, uh, that's not great news for the stock market. And it's weird for a guy at my age, from 38. I've never as an adult gone through a period like this where you're, you kind of wait every month for the fed to talk and it's like, Oh, well, cause then like everybody will freak out and the, the indexes will drop and then they like forget about it in a week and everybody starts playing around with the stocks again. And then it's like, Oh, we got this big fed meeting coming up and it's just like this, this roller coaster in it. Can you, can you explain to our audience, um, Dean Spalding, like, cause it, it is, it's, it's confusing because you look at it and you go, oh, this is great. Unemployment's low. This is a good thing. We want this. But then you look at your 401k and it doesn't react that way. Like it's a little bit backwards, right? It, it, it is. And, you know, I think some of this is 
some of this is because, you know, from an economic standpoint, we've got to deal with this inflation situation. Inflation has to be brought down. Uh, inflation is uh, an insidious tax on all of us uh, over time. So it really has to be brought under control. And uh, inflation really has never been brought fully under control without a recession. And so uh, much as the markets, I think, keep hoping there's going to be this soft landing, uh, I think that inevitably we're going to reach a point where uh, the increase in rates is going to lead to uh, lead to a recession, could be a shorter term recession, but lead to a recession in this country. Uh, and so that's really why, that's one of the reasons why uh, the stock market is inevitably going to head that direction. But people keep hoping. They're hoping that soft landing is going to happen. Uh, the Fed's going to do this perfectly. Uh, there'll be a short time of high rates with rates then coming down. And um, I'm, I'm not sure that, that that certainly isn't the way these things have played out historically. So it, it also... Okay, real quick on the inflation thing. Is it as simple as COVID hit and we pump $3 trillion into the market? Or is there more that plays into this? Because, I mean, it just, like, didn't common sense say when we did that and we're giving all this money away? that this had to happen? You know, and there were people who predicted it at the time. I mean, Larry Summers, a former uh, Democrat, uh, former uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary uh, for President Obama, predicted at the time uh, that this was going to lead to rampant inflation in the country. And there were those who said, no, 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 we've got to respond to this, you know, devastating situation in our country. Yeah. we need to go ahead and do it do it anyway. So I think you're right. There is an inevitability to that. But I think there are other factors at play uh, at this point as well. Um, there certainly are a large number of people who left the workforce. That's making the workforce situation tighter than it was. Now, to some extent, that is people who are still sitting on pandemic checks. And so uh, there still are a, is a fair amount of that money out there, although most economists are saying that by the end of this year, uh, people are going to move back down from this higher level of savings they have as a result of those pandemic checks back down to a more normalized situation, which is going to bring more of those people back into the workforce. I, I, I was meeting with some business owners yesterday, and they were theorizing that a lot of the you know commercial type folks as, as far as real estate goes the, in this specific case, but they, they had made so much the three years prior that they didn't really freak out much in 2022 because they were sitting on such a nest egg. And they, and my, the guy I was with believes that 2023 is when it starts to hit people like that. You, you're, you're referring to more of the blue collar worker. This is more of the upper end who are, who's doing the hiring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, and I think at a level it's going to hit, hit everybody. Right. And, and if the economy really slows down, I mean, you think of those commercial real estate guys, you know, as, as people get laid off, uh, there's going to be vacancies uh, for those folks and they're, they're going to see pressure. And you're seeing that right now, a couple of the, a couple of the big uh, real estate investment trusts, uh, Blackstones and KKRs, both have had to shut off uh, withdrawals by their investors. Investors are trying to get out of those large real estate trusts and uh, both of them are limiting the amount of money you can take out. 
Uh, and I think that's that's a sign that people are realizing that, that something's going to be coming here in the commercial real estate sector. Um, but I do think one of the other elements here is that what we also saw is the baby boom generation is beginning to retire. And to some extent, they accelerated that uh, with COVID. And they're retiring. They're out of the workforce, period. And the generation that's coming up next is smaller than the baby boom generation, which suggests that there may be some tight la- a tight labor situation in this country for a longer period of time than just something that was impacted by COVID. And a tight labor market leads to, you know, wage wage spirals, uh, where you've got to bid for those workers, wages go up, which means prices have to go up. And that becomes a vicious cycle. As prices go up, wages need to go up. And if you're in a tighter labor market, and again, those baby boom generation folks coming out of the labor market are going to have an impact on that. I think you'll see inflationary pressures that go beyond what happened with COVID. Interesting. Well, it, it definitely is hitting everybody. I mean, I, I'm just a middle-class family uh, here, but just like the milk and eggs and just everything that you need. Everybody listening knows what we're talking about to some extent, just hitting people at, at different times. So I, I'd like to talk about um, investing in this type of an environment. One of the, I, I read a, a piece recently in the, it was, I think in the wall street journal about value and growth in 2023. And the, the author was theorizing that a company like Amazon now, since it's lost so much value in the stock market could actually be a value stock. Um, you know, you, you think technology like that, you think growth, I guess it's just, you, you've been doing this for a really long time and you've seen, recessions and rallies and bulls and bears you've seen it all do you do you do you view value and growth differently in 2023 i guess than you did maybe even 10 years ago yeah you know you you're you're on a couple of interesting points there i mean one is that that today's growth stocks are always tomorrow's value stocks i mean no, right. nothing grows uh, forever uh, and ultimately you reach a point where you've uh, you may have created a new market a new opportunity but eventually you fully penetrate that and you become a slower growth company and therefore move into that that value category i never thought of it that way but you're right like it, i mean it sure at one point coca cola was probably a growth stock right Absolutely. Ford Motor was a growth stock. Uh, Greyhound Bus Lines was a growth stock. Um, You know, they all had sort of their periods. Now, whether Amazon has shifted or not, you know, if you think about their basic retailing business, arguably they have. And the online sales, arguably they have. The cloud business probably still has some ways to go. And Mm -hmm. to some extent, the cloud business has been funding everything there anyway. So, um, So that's one play. Value stocks certainly outperformed in 2022. Um, I think one of the things you see is that when investors see that they can uh, earn uh, 5% on a double-A corporate bond, uh, they're probably less willing to take the risk in buying a, a growth stock that has no profitability today, and you're buying it on the expectation that in the future you're going to get something, whereas you know ticking that 5% coupon uh, on a bond that you buy in today's environment, which could be a double-A uh, corporate, could be U.S. Treasury, uh, becomes much more attractive than, than taking a chance on uh, that future earnings growth. It's fascinating. I because we we've gone through times and, and you and I have had discussions about crypto uh, and, and we, we still have a, 
uh, well, I, actually, I, I lost the bet because it had, it's down from when we originally discussed. I still am banking on that $100,000 mark at some point. <laughs> I haven't sold any of my Bitcoin. I've, I've gotten rid of my, of my junk. And luckily, I didn't lose, like, I, because I, it was always such a small part. It was more play money for me uh, when I was doing that. But I have not sold. I, in fact, I've, I just have a little recurring buy, just a little bit. And you'd be proud of me. It's it's much less than like two percent of my investing. Like it's a very very small portion. But I guess my point is, we we saw this era where everybody's sitting at home, and the government. Hey, here's three thousand dollars. Well, I still have my job, but I now I get this three thousand. And people like to gamble, and they like so they they download their apps and they start doing these meme stocks and Bitcoin and the but these companies. They don't have any value. They lose these these companies that we're talking about are losing money, but they've been propped up by you know the these these investors. Do you think we're beyond that? Like because it 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 certainly seems to me like companies that actually make a product that pay a dividend that you know make that it seems to me like that is back in style. Where maybe when you and me first started having these conversations, it wasn't. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. You know, Bitcoin, uh, we've actually seen some growth in those meme stocks. Again, Carvana's been back here in 2023. Uh, AMC's been back here in 2023. Uh, Bitcoin is actually up 20% uh, in 2023. Now, on Wall Street, I think what we would call that is a dead cap bounce. Uh, and uh, the word on the idea on Wall Street is that even a dead cap bounces. Uh, I still think Bitcoin's dead, uh, but you will see these periodic bounces in something that is dying. Um, I think the crypto thing is uh, is over up for anybody other than the strong believers. Now, the strong believers will maintain value in Bitcoin. It's just not going to be the you know multi trillion dollars that it was uh, a year ago. Um, but you know, one one of the factors in in what drives these is that um, again, with interest rates basically at zero, which is where they were a year ago, and for several years before that, there was no reason to keep your money in a savings account. There was no reason to go buy a treasury bill. Uh, no reason to go buy any sort of fixed income security. People were chasing return, and when you're chasing return, you go after things like the meme stocks. You go after mm-hmm. things like Bitcoin. Um, if you overweight that direction, you can really get crushed. I mean, they, there's one estimate I saw that the uh, average individual investor's portfolio was down 27 percent uh, in 2022, uh, and that's much higher than the the, the decline in uh, the S&P and the Dow, S&P 500 and Dow, which is a broader basket of stocks. And it really shows that those individual investors were investing exactly where you talked about, and so really took the biggest hit uh, as value went out of those uh, meme stocks and. Uh, those grow forever uh, sort of stocks that never could generate profitability, but so long as they kept growing the top line, people were willing to make the bet. When you were on Wall Street, you're sitting around having your coffee at like four o'clock in the morning or whatever you were doing. Could you ever have imagined the time where a bunch of imbeciles are hanging out on Reddit being like, hey, let's drive up the Carvana stock today to screw with guys like you? <laughs> <laughs> right like that's kind of what's what happened right 
It, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, and, and some victories were won, you know, a lot of money was lost, uh, uh, by some of the professionals, uh, in bets they yeah. made on those. The Germans won a couple of battles in world war two as well. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> like I, it's, it's just yes. crazy to me, like that, how that, how that all played out. It's just these punks sitting around on Reddit and they're saying, we're going to just totally mess with this whole thing. You're right, though. I mean, it, it did work for a little bit, and that was like a thing. Like, if you turned on CNBC there for about two months, like you were, we were just talking about these these meme stocks. But yeah, it just I don't know. It feels like those day, like all those people have been burned now, and they don't have any more money. And like it, it, and there's a I don't know. There's a fear for me that a lot of these young people were doing it, and now they'll stay out of the market where they were. In my opinion. And, and this is where I kind of wanted to go with you because we have a lot of young people listening. It, this is when we should be investing, right? It, it, it is. And, you know, I think that, you know, what there certainly has been a lot of research done that at the end of the day, the, uh, the best return for an individual is to invest over the long term, uh, invest steadily in the market. Uh, and unless you're somebody who's going to be really paying attention to this and be deeply plugged in every day, uh, putting your money in an index fund, uh, in a Vanguard index fund, that's a relatively low cost vehicle. It's going to follow the market, say, follow the S&P 500 index fund. That's going to follow those stock, that basket of stocks over the long haul. Uh, is a great way to be able to put money to work uh, and and forget about it. Not feel like you've got to be there at your computer or checking your you know checking your iPhone multiple times during the day to see how your stock's performing to see whether you ought to be selling or buying. Uh, you know you want to be able to get on with your life and have some confidence that you're building uh, building a net worth. And that's that's something I would advise even in these turbulent times uh, that over the long haul that investment in equities is going to pay off. Your every book I've read all the not all of them though. Like there, there are some, some of the Buffett stuff out there is to have the, I think the term is the dry powder ready for a really, really, really poor run to, to pounce. But then there's all, if you're a Bogle guy, which I've read a lot of Jack Bogle stuff, it's don't even try and time it. Just have a recurring investment go. I mean, he says basically you could just go into the Vanguard total world stock market fund, the VT, because then you're getting international exposure. You're getting everything. I, I personally like the S and P stuff um, because it's, you know, it's the 500 best companies in the United States of America is the strongest country in the world. Capitalism, all that good stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, if, if you are advising and, and you're not a financial advisor, but this is just us giving our opinions on a podcast. want to make that clear to everyone listening, but would you like, is there a mix of that? Like save some for a worse day or would you just keep going and put your head down and live your life and invest in with a recurring deal? What would you say? I think steadily putting money in doing something that's that you're doing monthly uh, and putting money into an S and P 500 fund is a great way to build a nest egg for the future. Now, you know, if you've got some dry powder, uh, do you follow the Warren Buffett approach that uh, the time to buy is when there's panic on the street and the time to sell when there is when there's joy on the street? Uh, perhaps. But uh, again, you've got to be paying attention to really call those situations. And most people, most young people, you know, they've, they've got a 40 hour a week 
week job. Uh, they're working. They've got a family they're raising. Uh, and the stock piece, it can become awfully distracting to try to keep track of that basket of five or 10 stocks that, that you want to invest in. Uh, and whether it's the right time to increase your investment in them, sell out of them, uh, you know, I think if you want to keep a portion, you know, we've talked about a balanced portfolio before. If you want to keep a portion of your portfolio and some individual stocks, you really want to track because it's something that really interests you. But in general, for the the average person, you know, leading an average life with the average life's distractions, uh, I think having that uh, having that Vanguard fund is, or a fund similar fund S and P five hundred fund is a very good way to go and and investing regularly. And I would also warn people and you didn't really have this when you were when you were my age because if you wanted to trade a stock you had to go to a broker and like there there was actual paper involved and you had to sign stuff and it it you know with an app like Robinhood and even like a modern day Schwab or any, it can be very addicting and we don't have fees anymore so you guys had fees even when I started doing this it's like oh I want to <laughs> buy 10 shares of Apple for my Roth well, okay, it's five dollars or seven dollars or or whatever, and you had to be very careful about it because it could eat away at, at at anything for the money that I was trading. And now it's basically, I mean, you could just day trade for free on your phone whenever you want. And like the way Robinhood's designed, which I I don't have a, I actually use Robinhood um, for for one brokerage because it's so easy and it, the technology's so good. But it's like a casino. Like there's actual research that they created it that way to make people want to trade more. And that's very dangerous. Like I I think one of the things that they should do, Dean Spalding, is every time you make a trade, it should tell you what is your tax implication on this. Because I don't think most people have any clue. Right. And that, so that would be my advice to younger people listening is just don't get addicted to it. Like it, it can be fun, but it, it's still real money. And there's, the more you trade, the more taxes you're going to pay, right? No, you're right about that. And and by the way, one thing that's coming is the SEC is really working is on some new rules that will uh, bring fees back uh, at Robinhood. You know, the reason Robinhood uh, doesn't have you pay fees is because uh, they essentially sell their order flow to companies like Citadel Securities. And Citadel pays them enough for that, that they don't have to charge fees to the individuals who are uh, trading on their on their site. But uh, the SEC wants to bring that to an end. Uh, which would bring back uh, bring back the fees. Mm, interesting. So that would be across the board then. So all because be all across- these all these companies now are free. Correct. And that's all because, again, these big companies are buying the order flow because for them they can aggregate all the trades that are happening uh, at a given moment in time on Robinhood in Carvana stock. Uh, and they have the chance to execute that and they can make some money from executing that trade and they're willing to pay for the right uh, to make that money on executing the trade. Uh, the SEC thinks that's problematic. and Because of what uh, I'm talking about? Well, they they feel that they feel that this is not necessarily delivering the best possible price to an individual. Uh, uh, but I think you have to think about the best possible price is taking into account the fees you just talked about. And it's going to be awfully hard to trade a, a fraction of a share in Berkshire Hathaway, for example, uh, if you're going to be paying fees on top of uh, on top of what you have to put into buying the stock to make you know then make a return on it. So uh, so this could change things. Um, it's really interesting. I, I could see it being a protective thing. I could also see it pushing a lot of young people away. 
Agreed. Agreed. And I think that's the kind of thing that Wall Street's paying a lot of attention to. Uh, You read a little bit about this in the Wall Street Journal, but I'm not sure the average investor understands that the SEC is really coming for them uh, in that regard. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I read that crap all the time. Gee. Well, that that's fascinating. So the last topic I wanted to touch on you with, with you is spring's coming around. Um, I have a ton of friends that are real estate agents and, you know, growing families and you grow out of your home and you need a new, you need a new space and home buyers are, you know, I had a, a friend who was building a house in Minneapolis and they got two separate loans, one of them for the construction of the house and another was for the land. And by the time they got the construction loan done, the interest rate had risen about 3% or something like that. And it was going to cost my friend about $2,000 more a month because this was a pricey home. Uh, so this is a this is a really important conversation as far as these interest rates go. And, and is, I, I guess, let me ask you this uh, very very frankly, are these new interest rates up at four, five, six percent? Is this just the new normal? Yeah, I, I, I think it is going to, it's going to be the new normal to have uh, a real rate that you've got to pay for a mortgage, and real rate meaning something in that five percent plus sort of range. Um, again, what the Fed's trying to do is the Fed's trying to uh, take heat out of the economy, slow the economy down. Uh, there's an argument November of 22 was the 10th month in a row uh, where there was a decline uh, in the number of existing homes sold uh, in the country. Uh, arguably, the Fed has uh, led to a housing slump that hasn't really been seen since the 2008 uh, uh, devastation uh, in the housing sector uh, with what they've done just so far uh, with interest rates. And again, I think interest rates are going to continue to rise. Uh, Powell was fairly clear uh, last week that uh, they have not uh, they have not accomplished their objective yet uh, of really uh, restraining uh, the economy to the level they think they need to for inflation. And so I think from that standpoint, just in this current inflation fight, uh, we're looking at a more sustained period of rates at this kind of level. Um, Fed is talking about maybe a couple more raises and then keeping rates. Prob- you know, they hope, I think, to take a pause at that point and keep rates in the kind of five to five and a half percent level, which should imply a mortgage rate more like a 7% level than today's 6% level. Uh, they they feel like they want to take a pause then and see what the economy does uh, sort of through 23, but I don't see rates coming down much before the middle of 24, uh, and that's going to be dependent on uh, us avoiding some of the more fundamental problems I talked about with a, you know, a wage price spiral. Uh, that uh, that could cause the Fed to have to take even more aggressive action uh, to to bring the economy down. It's a uh, that that's so interesting because I remember when I bought my first house and my dad was telling me about the rate wh- what it was when he bought his first house it was in like twenties, right? Is what it was. Yes. And yes. My, my first mortgage was an eighteen percent mortgage. Wow. I think I'm sitting on two point eight right now because I refinanced during COVID. And then, Very like, wise. so a guy like me, I'm looking at this like a six percent mortgage rate. That seems insane. That's over three twice what I'm paying now. But it generationally, then you know, somebody your age looks at it, it's like, oh, it's not that bad. 
Well, but the housing prices were different in those days too. Housing prices point. were priced to allow people to pay those kind of mortgage rates. Good and point. Um, I think that's a challenge in the housing market uh, that we face today is can they really bring, you know, bring the price of homes down? Um, and I think that's a particular challenge for builders building new homes, bringing the prices down enough uh, to be able to appeal to today's buyers when they've got to pay 6% for a mortgage. And we also have way more in student loans than previous generations did too, yes. which is another challenge. Like I'm I, looking back, I mean, I'm about, man, how old am I? I'm getting up there. I mean, when I graduated, I would have never been able to buy a house with a 6% rate. Just wouldn't mm-hmm. have, like, I, I wouldn't have been able to. And that's, it's fascinating. We're, uh, well, we're going to keep you on standby. And I, I got a lot of great feedback the last time we had you on. And I, next time I want to get uh, some questions from listeners and we'll, we'll bring them to you. Cause this is really complicated stuff. This is uh, it can be scary, but it can also be advantageous if you know, if you're educated about it. And that's what we're trying to do is just educate people. And uh, we're lucky to have you to, to, to lean on. So thank you so much, Dean Spalding. Appreciate it. Uh, everything else good at the Ivy College of Business. Uh, keeping the make sure you keep those kids in line. If you ever uh, if you ever need a blogger to come and talk to anybody, I'm your guy. <laughs> Outstanding. That'd be great, Chris. <laughs> thank you, sir. We appreciate thank your you. time as always. All right.